From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Tuesday, December 28th, 2021, on the day that Mark and I are recording this. It is 100 days until the Masters begins. That's not the topic we're talking about today, but it's a wonderful way to have your mind think about golf on December 28th. The other way is realizing that we are nine days away from the PGA Tour returning at, uh, for the Century Tournament of Champions at Kapalua on Maui, and we say hello to Maui and Mark Rolfing. Hello, Mark. Welcome. Hello, Jeremy. Yeah, thanks for having me on, and it's never too early to start talking about the Masters as far as I'm concerned, but... Um, sitting here right now looking uh, out across the beautiful ocean at the island of Molokai and thinking about all the best players in the world that are starting to arrive here. It's going to be a spectacular Century Tournament of Champions. Uh, really one of the best fields in the history of the tournament, but by far one of the best fields in the history of the tournament. And um, I think it's going to be just another great way to start out the new year, as it always is. It'll be on Golf Channel and NBC beginning next Thursday. Let's um, open up by talking about somebody who won't be there, but somebody who has a history, obviously, there, especially in the year 2000, and that's Tiger. Um, my perspective, Mark, coming out of the PNC Championship was, look, Obviously, the walking's a big part of this. He's not there yet, but this was a way better looking and way more competitive Tiger than I ever imagined. You know, hold hold the presses on you know him winning five times in, in 2022, but I think the upside potential for his golf game got astronomically better two weeks ago, and 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 that's a win f um, for everyone in, in, involved. In my mind. Yeah, I'm with you, and I, I saw your analysis on Tiger Swing um, this year compared to a year ago. Yeah. Uh, and, and how much better it actually is technically now, uh, and how much stronger he's looking through the ball. Look, Tiger's playing career is not over. There's no question in my mind that he's got more life in his playing career. Uh, will he ever play the same style golf that he played before? No, absolutely not. Uh, he's going to play a limited schedule. You know, that's right up his alley. Uh, I think there will be certain courses and places where, uh, you know, he will tend to gravitate toward. He's always done that in his career, really, though. Um, but the reality is, if you take a look at Tiger right now, Jeremy, his legacy on the golf course is written. Yep. As far as I'm concerned, you know, I don't believe he's going to break Jack Nicklaus's major championship record. Um, that, that legacy is already written. Where his legacy is not written is off the golf course. You know, it's partially written, and, and, and a lot of it hasn't been fabulous away from the golf course. And I think he's got a chance now, really, sort of to look at the rest of his life and say, okay, how am I going to balance playing some competitive golf? Because that's what I love doing. Uh, and I want to do it, you know, for my family and I want to do it for the fans. Um, but still, how do I write this legacy off the course? And he could make such a big difference, um, you know, if he just did a few things, I believe. And I think you're going to see him gravitate in that direction. 
I am with you, and I think uh, this is going to give his foundation, which has been so successful, but I don't think people realize the impact that it's had, especially in Southern California. And as they pivot towards digital accessibility, which is something that the Rocket Mortgage Classic has done such a good job of highlighting. You were there this summer for uh, Golf Central. Um, you know, that potential pivot on their part could be really successful. Payne's Valley, um, and this is just by coincidence, was named yesterday as Golf Digest's 2021 Best New Public Course in America. Um, and that was his first ever public access course. There's that, um, you know, potential course in, in Chicago, which, which you are also associated with, that's out there as well for him. I think that Tiger Woods, the non-golfer, has, an imp uh, has a potential to reach more people, uh, golfers and non-golfers, in the next 15, 20 years than he has previously, partially because he'll have more time uh, uh, to do it, but partially I think that, you know, and 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 this isn't anything, you know, anti-Blue Jack National, for example, but I think the fact that projects that have his name on them will be way more accessible to the average golfer and the average person, that that can be huge for growing his legacy off the course. I totally agree with you. Knowing Tiger, he is going to lean toward projects like Payne's Valley. Uh, you know, not to say that if a tremendous redo or a renovation or restoration came along like the one skill Hans, you know, has been doing, which are just absolutely spectacular. Uh, I, I'm sure Tiger, you know, would take on a project like that, but I believe he is going to gravitate more toward public golf. Um, his main design partner, Bo Welling, is one of the absolute best. Bo doesn't get nearly as much, you know, credit as I think he's due. Uh, he's done, designed some great courses, you know, on his own and with Tiger. And I think Bo is a really, really good partner uh, because I'm working with him on this Chicago project and I've watched how um, he has sort of become integrated into the community there and how he has really dealt with all of the issues um, that are absolutely essential when you're talking about public golf, particularly in metropolitan areas. But I think that's where you're going to see Tiger's focus when it comes to uh, golf course design is for the rest of his life. Mark Rolfing from Golf Channel and, uh, Golf Channel and NBC with us here on Teeing It Up. Uh, shifting to the Century Tournament of Champions, you talked about the insane field, and that insane field got a jolt last week out of absolute nowhere when Phil Mickelson, who hosts what used to be the Bob Hope and and, and, is, and is now the American Express in Palm Desert, and then has become his main season starter, said, not so fast, I actually want to go play the Century Tournament of Champions, which he got into because of his PGA Championship win. Holy moly. Um, first of all, where were you when you heard this, and what was your immediate reaction? Well, kind of quietly, Jeremy, I had been saying, I really hope Phil plays, and, hmm. and I think he ought to play. I said, frankly, um, this might be the best chance for Phil to win another PGA Tour event for the rest of his career. When you think about it, forget everything else. Uh, it's a small field. He's only got to beat 38 players. 
It's a course that's absolutely wide open that yes. demands tremendous um, imagination and creativity. And it is right up Phil's alley. Uh, now, okay, why hasn't he played in 21 years? There's a number of issues, but schedule was the main thing. You know, he's got family, and it's right on the holidays, and that's always difficult when you've got young kids like that. But when you back that up to then his obligation of being the host in the desert for the Bob Hope and now the American Express, uh, it was always just a tough one scheduling-wise for Phil. But I'm so glad he's coming. People are laughing at me by saying he can win. But I'm telling you, I really think he could win next week. I fully believe he can because, A, he's got the distance, and, B, as long as there's no winds in the forecast of any, you know, 25, 30 mile per hour kind, that's a golf course where you cannot be hitting it in the perfect location, but still be fine. And that's where Phil has flourished with hitting it in places that are playable and then using his mind to get it into the hole from there. And that part of his game has never been stronger. So I'm with you 100% there. Um, you spent yesterday having a clinic, if I'm not mistaken, with uh, Colin Morikawa. And um, I have had the, the pleasure of speaking with his coach, Dr. Rick Sessinghouse, who he has credited with for so much of Colin's mental success. Colin has. And Rick, it's funny, he, he, he very easily just says, no, it's Colin and, and it's him and, it's, and, and, and his caddy having the confidence to pull off some of these things. But I do think the way that Rick has brought him up has been really interesting, focusing on the mental game you know, from the get-go. We've seen what he's done, winning two majors in his first try at those majors. He also picked up his, his first World Golf Championship event. When you were with him recently, what was his vibe, and what did you take out of the uh, clinic? Well, actually, the clinic didn't happen. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I have talked with him, but... Um, uh, just like I'm sure most people have been seeing, the COVID explosion here in Hawaii uh, has been enormous in the last few days. Uh, it, it really, uh, in the last week, uh, has gotten problematic, and especially on the Big Island. That is where Colin is right right now, on the Big Island. He's got a lot of family from Hawaii. Actually, both sides of his family are from Hawaii. Um, the mom's side and the dad's side are from Maui and and Oahu, respectively. And so he's here for a couple of weeks. But with with everything that was going on, the mayor of the Big Island yesterday tested positive for COVID, uh, for crying out loud. So we just decided with everything going on, it was in everybody's best interest to not do the clinic. Now, I have talked to him. I can tell you, uh, you know, his mentality is really, really good. Uh, I believe that he thinks he's the best player in the world. Uh, the world rankings wouldn't quite show it that yet, but uh, it's close. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised at all uh, a year from now to be sitting here talking to you about him being the number one player in the world. And the guy who is number one, I believe he could potentially overtake him next week. I, I don't have my World Golf ranking scenarios in front of me. Um, yep. Um, he could have a chance with a solo third finish or better to... Uh, get to, to number one next week. The guy he would unseat is John Rahm, who, in my mind, Mark, won the award last year 
for best perseverance after poorly timed frustrations on the PGA Tour. I mean, just to have the positive test when when you're leading by a thousand at um, Jack's place, and then to have the positive test again when when you're trying to go to the Olympics. Brutal timing and the poise, the humbleness. The, hey, it's okay, it's not life or death, I'm going to be fine, I'm a young father. His perspective, and and I know this has become cliche, but his perspective on life, I think, puts him in a really good place that could help next week. It's a really laid-back week, and that fits right into to, uh, John's wheelhouse. Yeah, and John, John Rahm has just matured so dramatically as a person. Uh, it's really been great watching him, and um, you know we, we criticized him a lot for his temper early on, and and uh, he's worked hard, you know, to to uh, get that under control, which he has done. He still can uh, kind of act out a few little emotions out there on the course, which I think is just fine. But what he's not doing is letting it affect his decision making uh, anymore. But the the problem that both Morikawa and and uh, Ron have next week, Jeremy, is a couple of guys by the name of Thomas and Shoffley. Uh, the plantation course has always been a course where certain players really feel good on it and are just tremendously difficult to beat up there. Uh, and all you got to look at is Thomas and Shoffley. I mean, in the last three years, Shoffley's been in the top five all three of those years. He won in 2019. Uh, Thomas, of course, won in 2020, and Thomas lost by a shot last year. So uh, whether it's Mickelson or Rahm or Morikawa, anybody that you're talking about that could win next week, I really think in the end they got to beat one or two guys. they they got to beat them both. They're going to win the tournament, obviously. But uh, Shoffley and Thomas are the favorites up there as far as I'm concerned. That is, and, and you're so right for pointing it out. Those guys have been all over the place. Um, on the uh, top of that leaderboard over the last couple of years. Mark uh, um, uh, Mark Rolfing joining us live from Maui as we get ready for the Century Tournament of Champions to restart the PGA Tour's wraparound season um, next week on Golf Channel and NBC. Um, you know, one guy who's making a return, and no matter what he does next week, I think he's, he's he is going to be smiling from ear to ear is going to be Jordan Spieth. Um, you and him, I know, have a special connection going back to your um, medical battle from, from several years ago. And he loves this event. His family loves this event. And you were honestly the first person I thought of when he won the Valero. I'm like, oh, my God, this is Mark Rolfing's dream. He gets Jordan back on Maui. Um, so, so obviously you're happy to see him playing better. But I think for the event... The fact that you get that player out there who has so much potential to win this event, he's a past champion of it, loves it, loves everything that makes the Tournament of Champions so special, um, he might be the the best representative for it you have in this year's field. Yeah, he's been a great ambassador, he's a great friend, and just a, a, a wonderful kid, not a kid anymore, a dad now, uh, but golf is just way better off when Jordan Spieth is playing well uh, and you know, I think he could walk in here and win I, I gotta tell you, I've had several scenarios over the past few years 
you know, where I was talking with him, where it just, he looked like a sad little puppy dog when we started talking about Kapalua because he knew he wasn't in the field. Hmm. Uh, I remember during a match at the Ryder Cup in Paris, uh, in the middle of a match, he came over to me and, and he hadn't qualified yet for the Tournament of Champions, which was in three months. He said, hey, would winning the Ryder Cup get me in that thing? <laughs> and, and I said, well, actually, you better win the Ryder Cup first and then worry about it, but I don't think so. Um, anyway, it's, it's great having him back, and uh, I think he's going to have a big, big year. But, you know, when you take a look at the golf landscape right now, uh, first of all, Jeremy, I don't think we're ever going to have a dominant player again in the game that, that totally gets a lock on number one and just stays there forever like Greg Norman did, for example, or Tiger. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't even think you'll see a big three. The, the days of a Nicholas Palmer player where those three kind of separated themselves a little bit, uh, I don't even think you'll see that. There are just so many good players now. I think the world rankings really need to be re-looked at. We, we touched on it briefly, but if you take a look at them right now, Jeremy, and see Dustin Johnson there at number three, is he the third best player in the world right now? I don't nope. think so. Uh, so. Hasn't qualified for uh, Kapalua. He won't be there next week. No, he will not. I don't, He's a guy who's going to be sad not to be here because he loves Maui as much as anybody, but uh, I think those rankings are just not current enough. Uh, you know, it's too too long a period, that two-year period. Um, and, I, you know, I think there's play, players on there. You know, the, the Sam Burns, for example, isn't ranked ahead of Dustin Johnson. Really kind of makes me scratch my head. Yeah, Sam Burns is 11th right now. DJ is, is uh, number three, as Mark said. Um, you know, it's curious... Uh, sorry, I am curious. You touched on a, a transition the game's going through. We're also going through a, a transition in terms of how players map out their time. We have seen Bryson DeChambeau completely revolutionize his game, and I'll get to him and Kapalua momentarily. We have also seen some guys say, guess what, I'm going to take a break and just you know step the heck back. And that is what Patrick Cantlay has done. Number four in the world, wins the FedEx Cup. That was his last um, official start. He then played the Ryder Cup and then took the rest of the fall off. Now, I know that this was the craziest 18-month stretch golf has seen in a long time with seven majors. But were you surprised, Mark, to not see him play one fall event and to now see him returning here uh, come January, he's put himself way behind, obviously, when it comes to the FedEx Cup. But just in terms of trying to prep for Augusta, um, he's put himself in a really interesting spot so far behind everybody else. Yeah, he has. It, it hasn't really surprised me that much. So if you think about it, Jeremy, the stretch of golf that we had with all those major championships, uh, you know, was was just unprecedented. I don't think you'll ever see it again like that on the schedule, hopefully. Um, and, you know, I think you need a little little time away from the game. Um, I like Cantlay's approach more than I do DeChambeau's, although DeChambeau hasn't played a lot competitively, but uh, he is still grinding away. I, I, I'm a firm believer that golf needs an off-season. I really think it does. Um, just going all year, I know, creates all these wonderful playing opportunities for for players and it gives a chance for some of the, the great tournaments around the world to showcase themselves. 
but at the same time, if you look at the successful leagues, the NFL being number one, um, you know, when they have an offseason like they do, it gets the players ready to go. It gets the fans lathered up. Uh, and, and I really would like to see, as time goes on over the next decade, golf start thinking about, uh, you know, creating a little bit of an offseason um, so that guys could actually do what uh, Cantley has done here. Which is just, you know, it's it's really interesting. He, he took a step back, and, and God bless him for it. Um, you have spent as much time uh, looking at at, at Kapalua uh, pre-renovation, post-renovation as anybody. The golf course was supposed to be firm and fast before we pressed record. You told me that unfortunately there have been too much rain for it to play the way Core and Crenshaw would ideally want it to next week. Hopefully the forecast will change and it will be able to firm up a little bit. Um, if it was firm and fast, the Bryson storyline would be really interesting. I mean, this course leads the PGA Tour in 400-yard drives as is, and, and now you would add that part to it. Um, his dispersion is so interesting because he is somebody that has tried to, to dispel every notion there is about proper course management. And I still think there are times that he goes into things with a game plan that that doesn't work in his that that doesn't work in real life, but he has convinced himself is the right game plan going forward. Um, and now he faces Kapalua, a way better player, I think, than the last time he was on the island. And what I think is interesting is as he gains this knowledge, my contention has almost been: is he gaining too much knowledge? Well, now as of Friday night, when the clock strikes midnight to end 2021, Greensbooks are banned. There is nobody that looks at Greensbooks more than Bryson DeChambeau. So, where do you see Bryson for next week, especially as he loses one of his key tools? I actually don't like his chances that much next week. Um, I really believe there's a couple things working against him. Uh, next week, you, you talked about the greens. Uh, you know, the renovation softened the greens a couple of years ago, so they're not nearly as severe as they they were. But, um, you know, Bryson basically plays golf with a one-size-fits-all mentality. Um, it's a system that he has created. He believes in it, uh, and it's very successful a lot of times for him. But there's a couple of uh, situations that it looks to me like he has difficulty adapting to. The first one is, if you look at the plantation course, the hole up there is almost never the target. The, yeah. the target always someplace other than the hole. Whether it's an iron shot into the green, uh, you're, you're looking at a completely different target, or chip shots or anything like that. It's I think it's harder for Bryson to, you know, kind of start adapting a little bit creatively and figuring out where the target is up there. It's just a wide open expanse of land that you have to create a target uh, and pretend like that's where the hole is. You're going to hit it there when, in fact, the hole may be 30 or 40 yards to the left of where you're looking. The other thing about the plantation course um, that, that I think is difficult for Bryson is the uneven lines. And, you know, his one-size-fits-all on the clubs and, and the length of the clubs 
Um, I think in a situation when you're on the side of a mountain like that, the elevation change goes from 50 feet to over 500 feet, so it's huge elevation changes. I think anybody with extra long clubs, especially the wedge, uh, on a couple of holes up there, I've watched him hit wedge shots at the 13th hole, for example, where you almost always get kind of a downhill side hill lie to an uphill green. Uh, you know, when you've got a, a wedge that's as long as his is, I mean, my heavens, if I swung that thing, I would hit the ground behind the ball every <laughs> single time. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know. I think those two things kind of work in his favor, uh, work against him. So I wouldn't put him amongst the favorites for next week. But having said that, you know, he can surprise you, that's for sure. That is for sure. Um, you know, it's interesting. You, you talk about the uneven lies, and it brings me back to the match. Brooks versus Bryson, he ended up on either one or two in that bunker with a downhill lie. And Phil said immediately, this shot works really against his clubs. And it showed. He got no spin on that bunker shot. And uh, Kepka was able to get the um, win on that hole and ultimately won the match. It was a perfect example of exactly what you brought up right there. Um, last player I want to run by you is Brooks Kepka. Now, he is in wedding planning mode um, for his wedding, which is always an interesting time for any player. Some guys are really hands-on. Some guys are really hands-off. Brooks, uh, per his fiance Jenna, is more hands-on than some people she's seen. So you would think he's gotten some reps in. He obviously played a couple weeks ago um, at uh, Tiger's event. And he's really interesting to me just because I feel like if he could ever stay healthy, I think he's a smarter player now than when he went on that major run in 17-18. And I think if you get a smarter Brooks Kepka with a healthy body Brooks Kepka. This is obviously a wonderful golf course for him because he can miss a couple shots here and there and it's okay. But I think using this week as, as a springboard, if he can play well next week at Kapalua, I think that could really bode well for his 2022. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I, I, I think he's a better player than he was a couple of years ago, to be totally honest with you. And, and I, think, I think there was a week, actually a day, in Brooks Kepka's career that he is going to look back on and say that was a that was a game changer for me and that day was the final round of the PGA Championship at Kiowa Island uh, when he came down the stretch head to head with Nicholson um, he made some unbelievably bad decisions I thought Kepka did uh, tried some shots he had no business trying he he literally it, it almost looked like Jeremy he lost track of what he was doing out there uh, and I think that had a big impact on him. I think he realized it. I think what Phil was doing had an impact on him. Um, and, and that's not the way, uh, Kepka, you would, you would perceive that Kepka plays, but it did. And I think he learned a tremendous amount from that experience, uh, where he didn't win that day. And I don't think you're going to see him playing like that again. I think he's going to become a more calculated, kind of player. I, I don't think he's going to be chasing distance. Not that he was, but he was always known as a big hitter. Uh, and especially with some of the injuries and problems he's had, I don't think that'll be the strength of his game. He can be a really, really good putter. Uh, he's got he's got all the tools. Um, and I, I expect a lot coming out of Brooks Kepka this year. Yeah, I, I can 
I really, really think that he could have a big year because the the thing about that day also is that was the first time, I think, down the stretch at a major. And yes, Bell Reeve was like this, but it wasn't as one-sided as Kiowa was. You know, Kiowa sounded to me like it was 95-5 to five, uh, uh, pro, uh, uh, pro Phil. I think Bell Reeve was more maybe... 75, 25, 80, 20 pro Tiger. Um, and I don't think he was used to be in such a one-sided crowd, especially since his uh, 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 especially since his issues with Bryson started where he's become even more loved than he was. To have that flipped and it not be because of a negative reason, but just be because fans love Phil more, I think that was a jolt to his system that he hadn't faced before. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, it certainly was something he didn't expect. He, he might have gone out there thinking, oh, well, everybody's going to be rooting for Phil, but he didn't realize how vocal that crowd is, and, and uh, especially at Kiowa. Uh, if you take a look at some of the photography, and I, I really noticed it a lot watching it unfold on television, how close the fans were yeah. to the play there. It's, it's a squished-in kind of claustrophobic place. Um, I remember that all the way back from the Ryder Cup in, in, uh, in 1991. Uh, and, and I think it definitely had an impact. Uh, it caught it caught Kepka off guard. I don't think he really expected that kind of an atmosphere, and, and he didn't handle it well. It, it, it kind of got to him. Um, he just wasn't totally prepared for it, and I think that'll be the last time he's ever not. I think he will be now. Yeah, and uh, that that scene there obviously became wildly bizarre, crazy, and a tad scary down 18 um, in a scene that I don't think many golf fans will ever forget. Um, and what a year it was in the majors in terms of Hideki's breakthrough win at Augusta. We haven't even talked about Hideki. I mean, here's somebody who did not win any Olympic medal in his home country was gutted about that and then goes and wins the Zozo on home soil in the strictest of protocols the PGA Tour faced the entire year. That I think is, is you take those two victories, the breakthrough win at Augusta and then him winning on home soil in Japan, that might be the greatest two win, um, you know, a combination you can put up considering the circumstances, the context, and all the implications of any two-win combo in recent memory. That was... I think people are going to not remember that as much as they should because that is a gigantic confidence booster for somebody when you can win the biggest major and a breakthrough major at that and, and then back it up winning on your own soil in a week that was miserable for a whole lot of people trying to just function as normal citizens. Yeah, I, I, I have to give so much credit to Masayama. We talk a lot about the unique pressure um, he is under. I just can't imagine um, what it was like trying to win that Masters knowing you had the weight of an entire country on your shoulders. We hear about how that makes the Ryder Cup such a unique event for the players. Uh, I, I would think it was even more so for Masayama. Uh, you know, I got to tell you, Masayama um, did not have a great short game when I first watched him play. 
he reminded me a little bit of Lee Westwood uh, in his earlier days when mm. he was a real wooden kind of uh, player around the greens. His chipping, his his putting um, didn't look natural to me. It, it, it wasn't a free flowing kind of stroke, uh, but he has really approved. Uh, around the greens, we've always known he's a great driver and iron player, but his short game has gotten uh, tremendous. And, and I gotta hand it to him; he has worked hard at it. Um, you know, he had some blows. He went into a pretty deep valley there for a while and, and came out of it. So, uh, you know, he could have won a couple of a few years back. Justin Thomas ran him down at the end, and beat him, but. Um, uh, Masayama could win next week. I'm going to say that probably about just about everybody in the field. Yes, absolutely. And it is a stellar field of, uh, uh, field of that, the Century Tournament of Champions on Golf China on NBC next week. Mark Rolfing with us. All right, before I go, give me who you think will win the PGA Tour Player of the Year. Oh, I have. I could give you uh, any one of... I don't know, probably 15 players. Um, I, I think John Rahm was the PGA Tour Player of the Year last year. That's my feeling about that one. Um, if I had to give you one player right now that's going to be the Player of the Year, I'm going to give you Xander Shoffley. I am. I think it's going to be him or Victor Hovland. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, we didn't mention Victor this whole talk, uh, but boy, oh boy. You talk about a guy that's getting better. Yes, getting and better. and I think, you know, people can laugh at Hero only having 20 players and it's a vacation for a lot of guys. When you win in front of somebody you, lo you looked up to your whole life in Tiger and you do it, you know, chasing down the pack on Sunday, sorry, that's enough for me. Uh, yeah, that, that's a lot. <laughs> that does mean a lot. And and I also think that Scotty Scheffler and Will Zalatoris both get their first PGA Tour wins this year. No, oh, I'm with you on that one. I, I think Scheffler for sure, but yeah, very likely on Zalatoris. But it's going to be a great year in golf. Um, I saw the piece of Jim Nance penned in um, Golf Digest about how it was an unbelievable year with all the majors, and it was because we had so many of them to begin with, and and uh, they were all great. Uh, and and Rom's finish at the U.S. Open, we haven't even talked about that one. But um, I think it's going to be another epic year in the game. And uh, it's interesting, uh, with all the World Golf Championships and FedEx Cup and, and everything that's kind of burst onto the scene during my career, there was all this talk uh, about how it was going to dilute the game and water down the game at the men's level and the highest level. But I actually believe... It's made the major championships more important. I think the major championships stand out now even more than they did when when I started. Um, I am and, with um, you on that. Look, yeah. Look at the look at the TV ratings. Um, that, yeah. That pretty much. No. I am I am with you on that. I I I think that, and especially with a couple WGCs falling off the schedule this year, yep. I yep. think that this is going to be the year that fans understand more than ever when all the good players are gathering together. And I think that's a good thing for the game. And the other thing that I think is a good thing for the game, Cantley, Shoffley, Hovland, and Abraham Anser. 
there's four guys, and I could have named a whole bunch, but four named guys, and I think Abe Answer is going to win multiple times a year going forward. There's four guys who don't have a major yet. And I think that the fact that we have so many guys who have established themselves for various reasons and have not won a major means you could have a run of first-time major winners that are not flukes, that are not Ben Curtis's. No offense to Ben Curtis, but I think you could get some of the best, a, a, a stretch of some of the best first-time major winners golf has ever seen. I think you're right, but I'm going to leave you with a thought. It's not going to happen at the Masters because you are going to have a first-time winner of a green jacket, but it won't be his first major. Uh, Roy McIlroy is going to slip that thing on. Wow. Wow. He has had a revelation in his game over the past, you know, six months, and I think, I think, you know, you talk about Brooks's turnaround. Um, you know, during the PGA, I, I think the tears that Rory shed after his singles match at the Ryder Cup, that was the shedding of all this stuff he had been holding it, um, holding in, and that will be looked at as his turning point going forward. You know what that just screamed to me? It screamed freedom, Jerry. Yeah. And Rory McIlroy plays his best when he plays with freedom, not, you know, when he's not worried about who his swing coach is or what he's doing technically or whether he's trying to fade the ball or draw the ball consistently, um, he's the natural. He is the natural of all time. And um, I think he has gotten there now. And, and the freedom that he showed when he gave that interview of letting those things out, he never would have said that a decade ago. Um, just says to me that this guy, I think... Um, you know, is going to have a little bit of a breakout this year. Will he be the best player on the PGA Tour? I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to play enough. Uh, we'll see. But uh, I don't know. I've just got a hunch about McElroy at Augusta. I like it. Mark Rolfin from Golf Channel and NBC, the Century Tournament of Champions, is next week. Thank you so much for taking some time while in Maui for coming on Teeing It Up. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks again, Jeremy. Uh, and uh, take care, everybody. Uh, greatly appreciate you tuning in.